You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show, and I can quite confidently say the earliest morning that we've recorded this show. It is 5 to 1 a.m. here in California, where I landed three or four hours ago in preparation for the 40th edition of the Breeders' Cup that takes place this Friday and Saturday, and we will be majoring on Breeders' Cup coverage all week, and that kicks off today with an interview with Jenna Antonucci, the trainer of the Breeders' Cup classic favourite, Arcangelo, but we must take stock of what has happened over what's been a momentous weekend in the sport across the globe. James McDonald talks to us on the podcast a little later, having won the Cox Plate on the Hong Kong trained Romantic Warrior. We reflect on another spellbinding performance from Equinox, this time in the Tenno Show Autumn in Tokyo, en route to the Japan Cup, for which he will be goodness knows how short a prize favourite, and what's been happening a little closer to my home anyway. Well, significant action over the jumps and on the flat. I'll be talking to Ryan Potter, the man who trains Jetoile, who burst a few big stable bubbles in the old Rowan chase at Aintree, a race which was somewhat... Um, marred or at least had some of its luster taken off it but again by the low sun taking out most of the fences and hurdles during the course of the afternoon and we'll be reflecting on what happened at Doncaster on Saturday and that might be a good place to start. Charlie Appleby will have high hopes of master of the season the Breeders' Cup mile uh, five days from now and he has issued a, a swift riposte to those who said that his season was going down the plug hole by sending out stakes winner after stakes winner in the last month and his first group one since May domestically courtesy of Ancient Wisdom the two-year-old in the Cameco Futurity. Rishi Passat I'm delighted to say I bumped into him in the departure lounge at Heathrow before we boarded the same flight to come here and we started chewing the fat about what happened over the weekend and this was our starting point. How significant was this a day for Godolphin and for Appleby? Well, I'd imagine, Nick, that really it would only become significant uh, for Charlie Appleby, probably significant next year. Yes, it's a Group 1 winner, uh, a welcome Group 1 winner, but the reality is this is just a schooling ground for what's going to happen in 2024 because the truth is that he wants to be judged by classic winners, Group 1 winners, all-age Group 1 winners, and I believe that he's got a live contender for that in Ancient Wisdom who comes from that tremendous race at Ascot, the Pat Edery Winkfield Stakes with Rosalian, Al Musmak, Al Yanabi, etc, etc, etc. That's some two-year race. The best that we've had in, in the UK this year, probably. Such strong form, but of course you have to see all early races next season. In fact, all three-year-old races next season at the moment through the lens of City of Troy. Mm. And so you, you ask yourself, well, is Ancient Wisdom a derby candidate? Yes, he is in any normal year. But if City of Troy comes through the guineas and they want to go that way, he's going to be formidable. Of course. I think Ancient Wisdom is probably going to excel in the derby. Mile and a quarter, mile and a half. That's the distance that you'll see him at his best. Actually, when you look back through a couple of his runs, he, in fact, that race at, at uh, Ascot in particular, he does... He does just hit a bit of a flat spot before picking up a little bit at the end of the race. So I would say that staying distances will be his forte. But you rightly point out that next year is going to be something else with City of Troy. I mean, what a great backup to have in Henry Longfellow, uh, who is an unbeaten Group 1 winner as well with an outstanding pedigree. And we would 
normally speaking, I think I've been talking about a, another backup in the shape of Diego Velasquez. It didn't happen for him in the futurity. Uh, Aidan O'Brien's uh, chief runner on, on Saturday. His other runner in the race, Battle Cry, had a nasty incident in the stalls, which meant he couldn't run which might well have compromised Diego Velasquez, but it's probably more the very heavy ground that did for him. I think so. I think sometimes we get a bit carried away when we see a horse with huge, big white socks and think, yeah, they, they've got that exaggerated knee action. But actually watching his, his first two runs, it looks as if the ground was always going to be a concern. A couple of people mentioned it before the race, not just afterwards. Um, and that was borne out by the way he performed in the race. He was okay. But when things got, started to get a bit tough, he just couldn't quite keep up with the others. Um, he looks a bit of a grinder on, on quick ground. Um, I, I wouldn't rule him out for doing some smart things next year. But as things stand, he's not in Henry Longfellow or indeed City of Troy's class when it comes to the, the Ballydoyle battalions for next year. Uh, talking of Ballydoyle, since we recorded the last podcast on Friday, Aidan O'Brien retired Paddington. We thought he might go to the Breeders' Cup, might go to Hong Kong. There were entries in there. You felt there was unfinished business. Uh, but the business is now finished and he is, he is off to stud. I wonder whether, whether you share my view now that... That's, a stud career is is very much viewed in terms of what a horse has done rather than what a horse hasn't done to what extent can you actually do damage to a horse's stud prospect by carrying on racing them i don't know the answer to that nowadays i don't know who does know the answer i would like to think that people will remember the very best of horses in fact that's the way they're marketed nick if we know if we're being honest about well, of it of course and coolmore are the are the expert marketeers understandably you market you don't say you know your horse ran 10 times got beaten three um you talk about all the the high high points of his career and, and paddington had a lot of high points um but there is that little bit of a uh how do you how do you say it you know, he finished his season in a little bit of a slump, sadly. Well, I thought actually... But York was pretty good, wasn't it? Well, York was... was the more I look back at York, ahead of... Um, talk, talk about Mostadaf, for example, and even when looking at Nashua before the um, Champions Day, I was looking at that York run, and I, I just wondered whether the ground did for him that day. The really quick ground. And then I had a look through some of his relatives, and actually, they were all best with cutting the ground. Um, if you go through his family, their their peak performances on the dam side came with cut in the ground. Yeah. And I just watched his head carriage in the closing stages at York, and I just thought maybe that's what's caused the long break after York. And then he came back, and obviously I know it was soft grab, but I think maybe York did for him. And of course, as we head toward the the Breeders' Cup, we remember that last year that European success was all about the big superpowers. It was all about Coolmore and Godolphin. Aidan O'Brien roaring back with three winners, matched by, by Appleby. Appleby's string this year is, is a fair bit smaller, but might be still fairly significant. I guess Master of the Seas is the horse that he's pinning most of his hopes on in the mile. Do you think, do you think he's the horse to beat in that race? No, I don't. I'm very keen on Morge. Um, I loved her comeback run. Um, I thought from a widest draw, you used a lot of petrol up. You know, connections. Saeed Bin Saror said explicitly before the race that this will be determining where she goes, whether it be the Philly Mare Turf or the mile. It's obvious that she's better going for the mile. Um, I don't think Masters is, is quite as good. You'll know more about the, the depth of form. I don't think, I, I think up to the mark, beat him convincing, mm. would have beaten him even more convincingly with a cleaner run. Yeah, and you could argue, as connections clearly are doing by their choice of race, that a mile is shy of up to the mark's optimum distance. Exactly. So 
all in all, what Masters of Seas has done is just put a little bit of a question mark in terms of his very best form. Whereas you take Morge's best form, obviously she beat Tahira. Mm. That's terrific form. And coming back to a mile is clearly what she wants to do. In addition to her best form. The other thing about Morges as well, she thrives on her racing. So I think she would have needed that run to set her right for the Breeders' Cup. Um, you watch her performances in as a two-year-old in Dubai. Her second run in Dubai was even better than her first run. Her first run, some people say, oh, she's done well to hold on. But then she turned up, admittedly not a strong race, but she absolutely blitzed them. Fast ground, going left-handed, over a mile. That's her bag. It's been a tough weekend for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Go Rocket Ride, strongly fancied winner of the Haskell Stakes, runner-up in the Pacific Classic. Horse trained by Richard Mandela, ridden by Mike Smith, two great veterans of California racing. He sustained a very serious injury during morning workout and underwent surgery at the Southern California Equine Hospital uh, on Sunday. And we're bringing you further news of him during the course of the week. He's out of the classic. So too is Kentucky Derby winner Mage, who spiked a fever and didn't ship. And we know that Bob Baffert is very confident about Arabian Night. We spoke to him on the podcast last week. But most roads seem to lead to Belmont Stakes and Travis Stakes winner, Arcangelo. Arcangelo uh, made history, or at least his trainer did, Jenna Antonucci, by becoming the first woman to train the winner of a Triple Crown race when Arcangelo was successful in the Belmont Stakes, and he's been all the rage for this ever since. And I've been speaking to his trainer about how he's been doing. Hey, Nick. Yeah, everything is well. Um, uh, Arcangelo shipped out early. Uh, we wanted to give him the space just to get settled into all the new surroundings and surface and whatnot. So he's been out since the end of September, actually. And so all is uh, all's going well. And is that something that you would normally like to do? If you're uh, targeting a race in a, a jurisdiction that you're not particularly familiar with, do you like to give them that time to acclimatize? Um, I would like to. I think it's really, you know, situational and race dependent. I would feel probably differently about turf races than I would say about a dirt race. But, you know, understanding, I think it's important to look at all the variables and all the data points. You know, we're coming west, different different track, different race dynamic. Um, So I think it's just responsible to try and check as many boxes um, and preparation as possible. Obviously, we know the climate is pretty different, but in terms of the actual training surface, the training track and what he is used to back home to what he's, he's getting accustomed to here, what would you say are the key, key differences? I think the biggest difference is a lot of our tracks um, on the east coast of the states are probably a little bit more sand-based and um, you know managed with different types of um, additives to keep a bounce in them and whatnot, and I think this track is a lot more clay-based, so I think the horses have to use themselves a little differently um, to get across it. So I think it's just responsible in, in our situation that we gave him the time to figure that out and learn how to utilize it. And, and giving him time and giving your horses time has really been your your selling point uh, over the years and something that you've, you've talked about quite a bit. Um, how much confidence does that give you when you, you come to a challenge like this that you, you feel very much that you do things in a way that, that, that allows the horses to develop at their own pace? Unfortunately, there's going to be things in life where it doesn't work out how we want them to. And so I think just trying to be patient and finding ownership that embraces that and understands, you know, we're living, we're dealing with living, breathing animals that, you know, you've got to be mindful of that. And so it's not always everyone's style and that's quite okay too. But for us, it's something that we really lean into to try and, you know, create longer careers for these guys. And tell me a little bit more about this horse as a personality and how that personality is developed. I'm not sure there's enough uh, space or room, so he's uh, quite the character and 
quite sarcastic is the best, you know, comparison I can give it to a human trait. Um, but, um, you know, he has really shifted to all business when that tack gets on him and he understands the, the task at hand now. So um, it's one of the reasons we find it so important to give him his space to be a kid when he's not out there having to be serious. <laughs> Uh, genuinely that is the best description i've ever heard i know i know we should be should be wary of, of anthropomorphism with horses but i i genuinely never heard a horse described as sarcastic before <laughs> a lot of cults can be and so i think sometimes it's not misinterpreting it as being mean or you know aggressive but sometimes it's just them being being wise guys mm. so he's just taking the mickey out of you basically oh 100 percent 100%. And, and so how have you managed to channel that energy in such a productive way? You know, how has he really developed? I think that's where allowing him, you know, the consistency around pen time um, where he can go out and roll and do his thing and be a kid and play. And, you know, his groom is fantastic of just rolling with it and knowing who he is. And, you know, Robert gives him that structure. You know, if he's to get too playful when we go out to do some work where it's just you know hey now focus up you know what we have to do here and so i just think the consistency you know as you would know horses mimic their last rides and so it's important to give them consistency and structure and they thrive off of it let's get down to the hard talk in your own mind is he the most talented horse in this race on what you've seen so far Oh, that's above my pay grade (laughs) (laughs) that's for everyone else to talk about and chatter about and do you think he's a better horse now than he was when he won the Travers? I think he is stronger and more focused. And if that equates to being a better horse, then the answer would be yes. And what you do know is how adaptable he might have to be tactically. You know, given a variety of different race scenarios, is he the sort of horse that you feel you can play around with the tactics accordingly? Yes, and that was part of our preparation, you know, with how we've come into this. Robert, his his steady rider is, you know, we did a, he did an exceptional job of really giving him some big open gallops, you know, the weeks coming into this to create our foundation on this horse. You know, we knew we were going to have to have a high cruising speed and then turning on a little bit of the speed again in these last couple of works to make sure, you know, he finds that speed because it's going to be, a, I imagine it's going to be a, a quick, quick pace and a, and a quick race with how the cards are lining up. This week, you are going to be uh, the top of everybody's list to talk to. You were the top of my list to talk to right at the top of the week. Um, It strikes me, though, Jenna, that you are, use your phrase, leaning into this period in the limelight and and are are quite enjoying it. Is that that a fair assessment? Uh, (laughs) I I understand the responsibility that comes with this and... I also have no problem talking about our great sport and our amazing horses and everyone that busts their butt to make all this happen. And I think it's important that we tell our story and you know, I'm happy to champion that um, and tell the world and tell what we do. And you know, there's so many people that put so much into this and sacrifice so much to watch these horses thrive. And if we have an opportunity to tell you know, how amazing our sport is and the people within it, I'm, I'm happy to champion that. Uh, and one thing we do know is that you 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 know how to celebrate. So if he if he does get near if he does get near the wire with with half a shot, well, I mean I'll I'll hear you before I see you, right? I'm, I'm we we have been yes, Fiona and I have been accused of that, and often if it's not a big race, people stare at us often. So we'll, we'll own that space. <laughs> but there's nothing worse though than seeing than seeing connections of a horse about to win one of the, the great marquee horse races in, in in world sport and seeing them standing there stony faced as though this is something that happens every day we we sort of need to feel it from our participants don't we 
I don't know how they can keep it in. <laughs> no. I, I don't either. Jenna, um, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for sparing me a little time and we will catch up again during the course of the week. My pleasure. Uh, Jenna Antonucci there, the trainer of Archangelo, who for many weeks now with British Books has been the favourite for the, for the Breeders' Cup Classic and will almost certainly start the market leader for all that Bob Baffert on this podcast very uh, last week was very um, sweet on the chances of Arabian Night, who of course carries the Go Rocket Ride form into the race. That's a bitter blow for the event. Uh, for Santa Anita, for Mandela, just for the sport, the Go Rocket ride was was vanned off with a, a serious leg fracture uh, yesterday morning. A uh, huge blow, huge blow, Nick. But the beauty about, and obviously we send our commiserations and condolences to Connections, but the beauty about uh, an event like the Breeders' Cup is that in the build-up to it, there are so many massive storylines at play, so many terrific horses lining up. Uh, come race day, we get swept away in all the emotion, all the drama that's coming our way. And the Breeders' Cup Classic, I still think, is going to be a terrific race. And, and I wonder, the news now just coming through to us that Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner, won't travel. And the race is starting to just thin out a little bit. And you do wonder, at what point... At what, you know what I'm going to say? You talking about Japan? Well, there's Ushba Tesoro from J- Japan. Well, well, but let's touch on him first of all. Well, I think he's a terrific horse. By all accounts, I mean, I've been looking at some of the social media video- videos that people are posting out in uh, Santa Anita. By all accounts, he looks even better than he did when uh, he turned up for the Dubai World Cup. It's possible that he may have well improved. And at what point do King of Steel's connections get tempted? I mean, if they give him a, just if they give him a breeze on the dirt and he handles it well, well at what point... Well, they've got to declare. They've got to declare Monday, haven't they? Well, so. I'm going to say, Nick. Now, I, I think I'm surprised he's even running at the Breeders' Cup. King of Steel. Are you? I'm not surprised he's running. Well, I'm not surprised he's running. We know who we're dealing with here. Connections are, but I'm surprised considering a couple of the races he's had this season that they're still going to push the button one more time. They know their horse better than than an idiot like me, of course. But he had two particularly hard races. The, the King George, I thought, was a brutal race. And last time in the <laughs> last time in the, the champion stakes, he was under pressure a long way out. And he's had to work really hard to get home. Frankie Dettori didn't leave any stone unturned in getting that final winner on the board. I'm going to say that King of Steel is one to avoid for me at the Breeders' Cup. You know, whether he turns up in the, the turf or the classic. He's, if, he, if he goes and wins, great, because he's, he's got some constitution. Now, you mentioned Japan. Japan are mob-handed in this Breeders' Cup. Ushba Tesoro, their classic winner. I want to talk to you about Equinox, who won the Tenno Show Autumn in a course record time in Tokyo, over a mile and a quarter. Now he goes a mile and a half to the Japan Cup. What kind of a beast is this? This is just something... Yeah, we didn't know it already. Well, you and I were lucky enough to be in Dubai when he won the Shima Classic. And didn't just win it. I mean, he absolutely blitzed the field, cruised round. And ever since then, it's been a performance of quality after... You know, even though despite that incredibly wide run, a lot of ground to make up, he won um, earlier in the year. And then, of course, did what he did in the Tenno Show, breaking the record again. Oh, he is just incredible. It's just a shame that he wasn't doing this in something like the Ark or even the Breeders' Cup turf. They did sort of move the Breeders' Cup turf at one point after Dubai. Um, I really do hope that we get, him, get to see him on an international stage again. But it, whether we do or not, it shouldn't detract from the fact that he is a magnificent racehorse, one of the very best we have ever seen. I've got to stop crying about the Ace Impact Equinox non-clash that never happened. I feel that the two clear best horses in the world and by some distance have been just 
too far away from most of us during the course of this season. Unless you are living in Japan or you were at the Arc de Triomphe or you were at the Prix de Jockey Club, they're really a mirage, aren't they, these two horses? What a clash that would have been. What a shame that we'll never get to see it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Mile and a half, quick ground, on turf. Those two horses are the standout horses. But the beauty about what we've talked about all along is that horses that have finished in and around them will be heading to the Breeders' Cup. And, you know, I think, I think Mostadaf's got a, a big shot to boost the Equinox form from earlier in the year. And too late now, too late to think about him for the Breeders' Cup Classic. He will go in the Breeders' Cup turf against August Rona and against King of Steel. Much more of that later in the week. Now for a clumsy transition that a Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars contestant would uh, be proud of, we're jumping in the UK and we're going to entry to the old roan chase that took place yesterday and a, a red letter day for trainer Ryan Potter. Trains just a, a small string and Jetoile was his winner under Daryl Jacob, returned a, a big price as well. Uh, I thought there might be some jubilation in his stable this morning, so I, I checked in with him and, first of all, asked him how the horse was doing. Uh, yeah, he trotted up sound and he's out in the field this morning, so he's 100%. Now, you said yesterday that you hadn't cried like that since you were a baby. Why did why did yesterday's old roan success mean so much to you? Uh, it just means a lot to the whole yard. A small, small team to even get any graded winners. Unbelievable. Um, and this, this horse is... He came to us for first season, uh, like when I first got my license. Uh, like he's a special horse to to me and the whole team. So yeah, so that was, that was amazing. We've always known he had talent. I mean, I think we first spoke on this podcast the week leading up to the Tolworth Hurdle when he ran behind Constitution Hill, and you were quite hopeful. Uh, what sort of hope did you carry into yesterday's race? Because he was a big prize. Uh, I know it's, you can say it after but I'll, I'll be completely honest I, I did think he would be in the first three um, uh, I didn't. I couldn't have really seen him being out of the first three just because a few of the big horses, the main horses the, probably the yards are a wee bit out of form and uh, my Drogo's probably going to need to run and it just seemed like a opportunity really uh, but uh, so the plan was uh, that race from the day we finished at Chepstow so it was um, look I'm not saying he won't come on for it but he was 100% fit yesterday so that was our that was our Gold Cup yesterday with him uh, it was always the plan So that was your Gold Cup but you you still got a big season ahead of you you must have given it a little bit of thought on the on the way but on the way home or waking up this morning you're thinking right what do I do now? Well I was I was looking at the entries last week at the Paddy Power and Look, I, I probably should have been a bit bolder and put him in, but I didn't want to get ahead of myself. If if he went and shown, shown me up and <laughs> finished last, uh, I would have looked. I would have been a bit embarrassed. But uh, look, he, he probably does need a bit of spaces between his races. So, um, look, Peterborough Chase or the December Gold Cup would be the two obvious options. Uh, probably the Peterborough Chase. And the thing is, I, I mean, what struck me was that yes, conditions races are there to be to be looked at as well, but. He, he's won this off a relatively lowly mark, so if he can hack it going a good clip against good horses, I know they left a few of the fences out yesterday, then, you know, you, you might be better off in those in those handicaps because you could still be ahead of the posse. Yeah, I think so. Like, uh, we've always thought he was a top, top-class horse. Um, the, um, look, he didn't have a great season last season, uh, but still managed to 
and you finished second twice and won twice and um, look he just it was all just he lost his confidence he slipped at Cheltenham when we fancied him and he just lost his confidence but um, yeah look I don't think he'll get penalised too much in the handicap well maybe hopeful more than anything but um, look I do think they're the kind of races we're probably in for for now anyway and then obviously later in the season you we either go to Cheltenham or entry, but I always think you don't go to both. You go to one or the other. So uh, he's got the entry for him. So probably sway towards come back to entry later in the season. Quite right. You sound completely buoyant. I don't. What time is it with you still? About seven, seven forty, something like that. Seven thirty, seven forty. Yeah, I'm uh, surprisingly uh, not hungover, so uh, <laughs> a lot of the staff were shocked to see me come out. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it helped that we got stuck in a lot of traffic on the way home. Well, there, there is that sweet spot, isn't there? Somewhere between somewhere between blind drunk and hungover, there is a kind of sweet spot of, of euphoria where you just feel on top of the world. <laughs> So that was a brilliant. The whole like it's not not just me. The whole yard. There's just a real buzz around the yard this morning, and I look at the uh, all the staff. They put so much work in. So it's look, it's it's great for them as well as me and the owners. So. Ryan, congratulations! Thanks so much for talking to me. No, thank you very much. Cheers. Huge win for Ryan, twenty-five to one. But a race noteworthy for its. Um, blips and blowouts as it was for its barnstorming success um, hitman disappointing uh, my drogo ran like a rusty racehorse wouldn't entirely write him off after that hitman you'd be disappointed with um, but of course Jatois was a pretty smart hurdler he ran obviously in the Tolworth behind Constitution Hill so we always knew he had some good level of form and that was a superb performance Obviously, the racing at uh, Aintree somewhat um, slight, slightly marred by the fact that one or two fences hurdles had to be uh, taken down. Yeah, and it's not as though it was particularly time contingent or if it was a hurdles thing or a chase thing. It was those low sun blighting the entire afternoon. I'm not sure what you do in that. Well, what respect. can you do? One day it's raining really hard. It's sunny. Who knows what to do? I mean, it's very tough for everybody, all the officials and clerks all over the country. And as you might imagine, lots of Irish winners at Cheltenham Showcase meeting. Two for Henry de Bromhead, three for Gavin Cromwell, including Florian Porter. Should we be surprised that Gavin Cromwell and Henry de Bromhead are dominating? No, not at all. In fact, I was uh, had a little bit of egg on my face on, on Friday when I was working for Racing TV and I interviewed Gavin Cromwell. I was about to ask him about an across-the-card treble that he'd had, double at Cheltenham and one at Sligo, I believe, and... Um, he said to me, he said, I th- just before you say any more, should be worth pointing out that I've won with seven of my last eight runners. So not a surprise that Gavin Cromwell's horses are flying. And that's obviously all before Flooring Porter did what he did. I thought he was really impressive uh, over fences. I really enjoyed what he did. I'm excited for him. He's a fun horse to watch, isn't yeah, he? Absolutely. I love the way he went away. Obviously, he made that mistake. But I love the way he went away at the last with minimum effort. I'm excited. Hope, hope that he lives up to all the expectations. And the exciting thing is that he might keep coming back to England because that's where the better opportunities are for him and he seems to enjoy the travelling. Well, he'll avoid Willie Mullins contenders and Gordon Elliott and can just pick up, pick on the, on the Brits and, and beat them up. Which, let's face it, most Irish trainers can do. Plus our charge. Let's Plus our charge, exactly. And Henry de Bromhead bringing some of his lesser lights over and cleaning up anyway. Yeah. Although I wasn't disappointed with Haddock's Desobo uh, in the opening race... Yes, um, I thought Rachel Blackmore gave the winner a terrific ride on Saturday in the opening race. But I think Haddox Desobo does have a big future. He's a gorgeous-looking horse, absolutely beautiful horse, travelled really well. 
to be fair to Jamie Moore, Rachel Blackmore did not give him any peace at all during the race. Um, but he was still in there at the last after such a long layoff. Now, those of you whose hearing is very good will have just heard that um, the Virgin flight to Los Angeles is boarding. So I think we better, we better crack on. They won't leave without you, Lucky. Gate 13, Rishi. I'm just sticking on your coattail. Well, I spoiled the ending, really, didn't I? You know the rest. You know we made it safely. Uh, first thing I did when I got here to California was put in a call to James McDonald because he is the star New Zealand-born Australian-based jockey who racked up yet another big race success, courtesy of Romantic Warrior in the Cox Plate. It was a tremendous ride on a very talented horse. Uh, came from Hong Kong to win the race for a trainer Danny Shum, who I spoke to a few moments ago, and he said he'd lost his voice, and could he speak to me tomorrow? Uh, when I put in a call to the winning rider, uh, he never wanted to rest on his laurels, was um, was on his treadmill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just trying to get in a few steps before going to bed, obviously, but um, no, we keep, keep the eye on the prize, so to speak. All right, well, from here in California to you in uh, wherever you are at the moment, in in, 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 in Melbourne, in Victoria, um, well done with the Cox Plate. Do you, did you get a sense of the significance of this result on an international level and, and what it meant to everybody in Hong Kong? Look, not, not till it actually happened. Um, on Saturday night, I was actually blown away how much support he actually gathered internationally. Uh, he was he's a well-supported horse. He's a, he's a champion horse in Hong Kong, and it's the first the first time I've obviously travelled um, for a while, and to get a huge result like a Cox Plate, who even you guys would rec- recognise as a as a great race. Um, it was a pretty phenomenal result and a fitting result for a, a, a brave call to come down, um, especially with the rich prize money in Hong Kong. So um, I, I take my hat off to Peter and Danny for that. I mean, I've never been to Mooney Valley, but I love watching it on the box. It looks like everyone's incredibly close to the action and, and the races develop in an incredibly dramatic way. At what point did you think, mm, yeah, I've got a shot of getting to these when Alligator Blood kicked clear? Yeah, I, I was never really um, thought I was the winner at any stage, to be honest with you. I was very happy with the position. I was in a stalking position, ready to go, but um, he never gave me the feel of, like, he was going to sit there and explode and win win by a margin or, or win at all, for that fact. But um, I was pretty confident once he changed onto his fresh leg, he surged for me, and I knew it was going to be close, but I actually thought I got beat, so it was... a it was, a, it was a pleasant surprise to get the photo, that's for sure. I bet it was. And as you say, it is one of the great marquee races. And it, if all the attention is on on the Cup, Melbourne Cup internationally, we've just had the Caulfield Cup. From a jockey and, and a purist's point of view, a top-class rider's point of view, the plate has its own place, doesn't it? Just maybe try and explain that. Oh, you're 100% right. As a racing purist, uh, and, you, and when you grow up living and breathing in, in the Southern Hemisphere anyway... The Cox Plate's the, basically the pinnacle. Uh, it's our greatest weight for age race in the, in the land. The track itself is so unique, so tight turning. The crowd feels like it's on top of you. It's an unbelievable atmosphere on Cox Plate Day. And yeah, it's, if we grow up idolising the champions that have won it, um, as far as I can remember, Sunline, McIver, Divas, So You Thinks of the World, and then most recently, Winks. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great place to be a part of and um, and to edge our way into 
that on a roll is, is um, pretty cool, pretty awesome, I reckon. Yeah, and to do it on a, on a horse that's come from from afar a as well, even even better. Um, just tell me a little bit about you and the rest of the of the carnival when you get to to Flemington. What are your commitments going to be? Who are the, the high profile rides in all the big races? Uh, we got a we got a, a really strong book assembling anyway, and um, the first day I've got a very good horse for actually Coolmore itself called Shinzu in the in the Coolmore Stakes, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, picked up the ride on Gold Trip in the Melbourne Cup, which is a very good ride. Uh, the last day is is obviously Champions Day. Um, you guys obviously got West Wind Blows, who will be awfully hard to beat in the 2000. But my probably best ride on that day is in secret up the straight she's a she's a weapon up the straight and uh, she looks hard to beat and, and we talked to Mark Zara earlier in the earlier in the year about Gold Trip after he'd, he'd won. I said he only turns up on big days, doesn't he? That's the thing. He just knows. He just knows when the money's. He knows when the money's on, and he and he, and he just decides to pull his finger out. Is that the horse or jockey? No, definitely, de- de- definitely the horse. I'll let I'll let you I'll let you pass judgment on the jockey. Definitely the horse. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, the horse is a big time performer. He's uh, he had, he's had a similar campaign as he did last year where. He, he won the Melbourne Cup in great fashion. His run in the Cox Plate was phenomenal. So, running, running a high catching uh, fourth. So, he's definitely well on song, and um, yeah, it's a great ride to pick up. All right, James. So how, how are you doing on the steps? I'm going all right. I've been going 50 minutes. I've done eight kilometres, so I've got another two to go. Uh, and barely out of breath. I would expect nothing less. Thanks so much for taking the call. Oh, thanks, thanks. Cheers. James McDonald there, the brilliant James McDonald, and another splendid ride aboard Romantic Warrior. And I talked about the significance of this, the significance that for this for Hong Kong and for global racing in general. Our correspondent, J.A. McGrath, uh, is down under at uh, the moment. And here's his take on the success of Romantic Warrior. Despite being in Melbourne for much of the past week, believe it or not, I'm still on the Hong Kong beat. And it's all because of the magnificent win of the Hong Kong champion Romantic Warrior in Saturday's Cox Plate at Mooney Valley. It was great to be there. It was a real crowd thriller, played out at a unique racetrack of smaller proportions than neighbouring Flemington, where they'll run the Melbourne Cup next week, Tuesday the 7th of November to be exact. There was a lot going on at the Valley. Romantic Warrior got up in the very last stride to win by a whisker, J Mac, James McDonald, was very emotional afterwards. He actually thought he'd got beaten. It was easy to understand the emotions there. J Mac had largely driven the Hong Kong challenge. He recommended to owner Peter Lau and to trainer Danny Shum that Romantic Warrior could win Australia's premier weight for age race. And he was right, but only just by a nose from Mr. Brightside. As I said, this was emotional. Danny Shum and his assistant Ben So were deliriously happy. Even the Chinese commentator Toto Wong was punching the air. The pictures on racing.com are there if you want to see them. And the boss of Hong Kong racing, Winfried Engelbrecht Bresgers, was also finding it hard to contain his delight and pride at what Romantic Warrior and his connections had achieved. Don't forget, professional racing only started in Hong Kong in 1971. It has come a very long way in 52 years. Winfried had his grounding as a racing official in his native Germany, where his family had been actively involved in the sport. 
He's been 25 years with the Hong Kong Jockey Club, the last 16 as CEO. Winfrey, this is a, a very, very special occasion, I know, for you. I remember interviewing you once and you told me that probably your greatest thrill in racing was seeing a horse called Konigstuhl winning uh, the uh, German Derby. It was a, a horse that your family were closely involved in. But how close does this come to that experience? I, I think for me, when you own a horse yourself, it's probably different. But from all the events I've been, when a Hong Kong horse run overseas, this is one of the most thrilling ones. Because it was a lot of times against the odds. And I think he showed, in a way, for me, especially after COVID, where people were doubting our Hong Kong horses as good, they only perform well in Hong Kong. It has shown how good Hong Kong racing is. And this is why I'm thrilled, because we had 25 years ago vision to bring Hong Kong racing to the world stage. And when you see this, that this vision comes true, this is even more gratifying than having a horse winning the German Derby. So what does it actually mean for Hong Kong racing? Because this is a double success, isn't it? Because not only has a horse travelled from Hong Kong and won the biggest weight race race in Australia, you've also got a horse who actually was bought at your international sale. I, I think if you look at one thing, we want to provide a good service for owners. And I think this, uh, uh, and I'd never forget, Danny and I, we were standing there when he parading, and Danny asked me, which horse do you like most? I said, this one. And it shows that when we, in a way, provide services for owners, that we, and I say this very much clearly, we would like, in a way, to bring more good horses to Hong Kong, because it is a very tough competition now, and we will increase, in a way, what we invest in bloodstock to show that Hong Kong racing is at a global stage, not only now uh, and for the future. Now, looking to your Hong Kong international races in December, is there a fear that Romantic Warrior will frighten away some of the opposition? I think because um, he won only by nose, <laughs> so therefore I'm still optimistic. And if you look at the second horse, he's entered for the international. So I still think that uh, it shows that Hong Kong, you can beat Hong Kong, horses in Hong Kong, but you have to come with a very good one. I'm very optimistic about the entries. I have globally, we have extremely strong support and we will demonstrate that the Hong Kong International Race is the longest international is one of the best race meetings in the world. And as far as achievements by Hong Kong horses goes, how does this rank, do you think? I think for me it's in the it's a photo finish. One is bullish luck. <laughs> Uh, then which, it's, which was when? That was, in a way, in the Yoshida Kinane, winning against top-class Japanese milers in Japan by two now. Then you had Viva Bataka, and therefore, there is practically for 15 years nothing similar. Uh, and that's why I think it is an amazing achievement. And I'm very proud about Hong Kong, and especially our team. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Winfried Engelbrecht Breskes, the man who heads up Hong Kong racing and also is the chair of the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities, talking to Jim McGrath and much more from Jim tomorrow when he catches up with pioneer Michel Payne. All right. Well, just as we landed, got our baggage earlier on today, uh, news came through on my phone that Shaquille had been retired to stud. He will stand at uh, Steve Parkins Dullingham Park stud next season. And I got a quick reaction from Rishi before his back came off the carousel. 
Yeah, that's disappointing. I certainly was hoping to see him next season. I thought he could be better next season than he was this season because there was always an element of perhaps a little bit of Mm. Uh, education, a bit more maturity coming from him next year. Um, I'm surprised, but uh, on the other hand, I understand obviously Steve Parkin trying to establish something uh, at Dullingham Park, and um, he's potentially, commercially, he's going to be very exciting, isn't he? But from a racing fan's point of view, I have to say I'm very disappointed that we won't be seeing him. Another one gone. Real shame. All right, Rishi, have you uh, got a tip for me? I have a tip for the Breeders' Cup. Excellent, that's what I wanted to hear. I think, well, can I give you two? Yeah. Mostadaf and Morge will be the two British winners. Mostadaf, obviously, I think, I don't care about the mile and a half. I think he'd be fine over that. The sharp mile and a half, and I think Morge over a mile. Side bin Saroy's been a long time since he's had a winner at the Breeders' Cup. You know, Delami, fantastic like, but we haven't seen the great man celebrating in America for a long time. Here, he's back. He's going to be back. All right, my thanks to Rishi and thanks to all my guests today and thank you for listening as well. Um, Really looking forward to the next few weeks. The very best of international racing. Breeders' Cup here, of course, then the Melbourne Cup, the Bahrain International Trophy and back then for the Paddy Power meeting at Cheltenham and lots more besides. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again to do it tomorrow. Can't promise what time, but it'll be there. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.